0: Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
1: You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Relax this Sunday with a little moment to yourself and the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
0: It's Thursday, December 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive podcast in Los Angeles, and this is Reopening America a federal vaccine advisory panel has recommended that healthcare workers and residents of nursing homes be the first people to receive any vaccine that might soon be approved. About 40 million doses of vaccine should be available by the end of December. And since it's a two-shot protocol, only about 20 million people will be vaccinated until more can be manufactured. Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for this and a new analysis of blood donations that shows coronavirus was infecting people in mid-December of 2019, a few weeks before it was officially identified in China and about a month earlier than the first U.S. case. Thanks for joining us, Betsy. Thanks for having me. We've been getting a lot of news out of the CDC recently. One of the top things that we heard is that the panel that was going to be giving recommendations on who would get the COVID-19 vaccines first has come out with their determination. They're saying that healthcare workers and people in nursing homes should be the front of the line to get the newest vaccines that uh, should be approved pretty soon. So Betsy, tell us a little bit about what this panel recommended.
2: So there is an expectation that the FDA will authorize the first vaccine, first two vaccines this month. And so everyone is preparing for that. There's a very limited number of doses. So right now, all of the discussion is who's going to get those first doses. And about 40 million doses will be available, but that's enough for 20 million people because people need two doses. So the whole question is now, particularly with this surge, who do you vaccinate first and how are you going to have the biggest impact? And an advisory panel to the CDC has been discussing this issue for months. They voted yesterday overwhelmingly to give those first vaccines to about 21 million healthcare workers and 3 million residents of long-term care facilities. These are the two groups that they have deemed to be most in need of the vaccine and who will have the greatest impact on sort of tamping down or starting to tamp down the spread of the virus.
0: Right. And there's a lot of other people in the conversation, other high-risk populations. There's essential workers, teachers, police people with underlying health conditions. So we had been hearing for a long time, it was going to be healthcare workers and nursing home patients, but there's a lot of people in the mix. Obviously we need to vaccinate everybody. So uh, there's, there's, right. there's there's a lot of potential populations.
2: There definitely is. And it's a, it's a very tough decision because yeah. there are a lot of people in need. I mean, people at high risk at age 65 and over. I mean, that mortality rates, as you go up in age group increases dramatically. So who gets it first? You know, this meeting that they had this week was just about who's going to get those 40 million doses. The next group down will be another to be essential workers and people over 65 and people who are at higher risk, both older and younger. I mean, all of these people need urgent access to the vaccine. One thing I will say is that even within this top group, this is called phase 1A. There's so many groups are prioritized. They're all group one. It's just like 1A, 1B, 1C. So 1A, you know, initially it was just going to include healthcare workers, then nursing home um, residents were added, and that there has really been a debate, a discussion between who is the greater need of the vaccine first. If you're going to like decide who of those two groups goes first, nursing home residents or healthcare workers, the opinions are divided even on that.
0: And also even the rollout with that, too. You know, we we're talking about healthcare workers and they're recommending too you should probably stagger who gets them and when, only because people have said there are side effects with these two vaccines. So it might feel pretty crummy for a couple of days. So if they need to call out of work, all that, you know, you have to really approach it in the right way. But we did see that the UK approved the Pfizer vaccine. They also said that they're going to be administering this to nursing homes and healthcare workers first, as well, and people over eighty, as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, so the reason to give it to healthcare workers is um, these are people who are, are protecting everybody else. So there's there are kind of justice and ethical reasons for giving them to them, and also practical reasons. The justice, the ethical reasons are obviously these are the people who put their lives on the line to save others. Um, the practical reasons are that uh, you need to keep health workers, um, healthcare workers. Uh, safe and protected so that they don't get sick um, and so that you have enough of them. And right now, you know, hospitals across the country uh, in hotspots um, and there are many of them, this, this virus is like on the rise everywhere. Um, you know, hospitals are having trouble keeping numbers of staff and many are actually having to have uh, help employees who have tested positive for COVID-19 but aren't sick. Um, if they've tested positive and aren't sick, they're still, um, asked to work because they're so short of, of healthcare workers. So, so that's you know the reason to get them vaccinated. So you can have a steady staff, steady, steady, um, well protected staff. You also get um, by by vaccinating that group. You get a, a a broad section of the population: older people, younger people, um, diverse population. And you, you you there are many healthcare workers who are themselves at high risk. So um, there's a benefit to them. The reason for nursing home um, residents is, um, you know, very compelling. I mean, 40% of the deaths are are among residents of nursing homes, so they are these are people at the highest risk. One concern that that some experts have had about them is that um, data haven't been made publicly available yet, showing how well the vaccine performs um, in older people whose immune systems aren't as strong as um, as younger people. So. Um, It's not that the data doesn't exist. It's just, it's not widely available. So no one, you know, people are a little bit, some people are a little bit concerned about giving these new vaccines, using a new technology to um, very vulnerable people uh, early on. But they're going ahead and New York state, for example, has said um, that it's going to put um, nursing home residents first in line ahead of healthcare workers.
0: The other interesting news that came out of the CDC, and this might give a lot of people relief who said, man, I was so sick in early December, mid-December, that I swear I had coronavirus back then. We're starting to learn more about basically that it was around in mid-December in the United States, weeks before it was officially identified in China, maybe about a month earlier than people first said here it was in the United States. And the CDC analyzed blood donations and they found out that some of that blood had antibodies for coronavirus. So what did they do to find this all out?
2: So blood donations aren't normally kept this long, um, but this was a, a group of samples, blood donations, samples from the Red Cross that had been kept for analysis of another virus, and they were repurposed and sent to the CDC, to the CDC to analyze for evidence of how early on in the, in the pandemic there may have been cases in the U.S. So those researchers actually found, they looked at December, and they looked at a period in January, and they did find a few cases in December. There is a caveat. There is what's called cross-reactivity sometimes with coronaviruses, and you can't, or with viruses, and um, with some of the samples, it's not 100% certain that they were infected with this particular SARS, SARS virus, it might have been another coronavirus, But this group did do um, extensive testing and did find um, um, that there were, you know, some cases. And so uh, of this particular virus. So, you know, there's no indication from what they found that it was spreading in the U.S. um, that early on. These would have been isolated cases, Mm -hmm. um, nothing big enough to pick up. And the same in early January. So um, and and. You know, others have been looking at this. It's it's interesting to to know that, you know, through the blood supply, you can go back in time and sort of try to piece together what happened, um, you know, using this methodology.
0: And it does raise a lot of questions, though, about the origins of the virus, obviously. You know, if it was circulating a lot earlier than we thought here in the United States, especially, where was that jump? Where did it happen? What states, what locations were these blood samples from where they found out that the coronavirus was there?
2: They're from nine states across the U.S. The ones um, where uh, there were some positive samples found in December were all West Coast: California, Washington State, and uh, Oregon, I believe. Again, very, very few and isolated cases. And so, you know, in January, the samples found in January were more widespread. There was Connecticut. They looked at samples from Michigan. Um, you know, a few other states. So it really, it, it does show um, or suggest, I should say, that um, that there were what they would call importations or, you know, separated introductions. There's no indication from any of this that there was actual spread that early on. You know, I guess the obvious question then rises right, all this virus really from China. And, you know, this is a coronavirus that, very closely, you know, resembles coronaviruses identified in the bat population in China. Right. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really raise the question that oh, maybe that this virus came from somewhere else besides China. What it does suggest is that as the you know the number of cases was starting to build up in China, there's obviously a lot of global travel. Big lesson here is we're a global world, right? <laughs> right.
0: Exactly. Um,
2: and it's 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 not too surprising that there were isolated cases in the U.S. And there have been, you know, studies um, that have found cases here and there in in Europe, one in Germany in late December. Certainly by January, you know, there were were cases, more cases in the U.S. um, than we knew at the time.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be one of the next big phases of this as we continue to learn about this virus. You know, we're finally getting vaccines. We're finally getting therapeutics for all of this to treat this better and more effectively. And then we're going to have to circle back completely around to back to the origins. And I know there's a couple of studies already underway that are going back to look at that. Um, So we're going to continue learning about this thing for some time. Uh, You know, hopefully we get over it as as far as, you know, uh, vaccines and all that are concerned. But this virus is going to be with us for some time and we're going to constantly be learning about it.
2: Most um, public health experts believe that um, this is not something—a virus that we can eradicate or, you know, drive back into nature. Uh, at this point, we're we're going to have to live with it. Um, with treatments and vaccines, we can manage it, and it, you know, will be like every other virus out there right. that's a threat to us that we um, that we just have to um, make sure we avoid. So, the benefit of knowing the origin is, you know, if you find find the origin that's not only scientifically interesting, but it helps you figure out how to prevent more viruses like it from um, from spilling over from animals into the population and starting to um, spread.
0: Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you very much.
0: I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. Don't forget
1: Right Rug Flooring.